Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are, you are a God who is there. Not only are you there, but you've made yourself known. We thank you for your word um, that you reveal yourself through, uh, especially in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray that as we continue our journey through the book of Romans that you would um, speak to us from this uh, wonderful passage in Romans 5. We pray that you would encourage our hearts. May we see more of your glory and the wonder of all that you've done for us in Christ. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Blue Church Bible, uh, there'll be a bookmark there. Otherwise, the words will be up on the screen. Thanks, Tom. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, well, friends, it's, uh, what a great passage to sit under today. Um, but you might, before we get there, you might, you might be familiar, I presume most of us are, with uh, famous Lewis Carroll uh, books, Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass, the second one. There's a new movie coming out that's not getting great reviews. Uh, but it's a, if you know the movie, right, you, it's about this girl called Alice. Uh, and she goes into this, she sort of goes uh, into this uh, fantastical new world, this other world. Uh, and she goes, uh, she goes through a rabbit hole, or in the second book, through a looking glass, through a mirror on the wall, right into this incredible, amazing new world. Uh, the thing about that kind of theme is it, uh, it taps into something, uh, these, uh, this ongoing idea that re- keeps coming up again and again in the stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, this idea of some kind of door into another world, Right? Uh, I think it reflects some kind of deep yearning within us for another world, uh, something other than what we experience here, from Alice to Doctor Who stepping out of his TARDIS to whichever land he happens to be going to. Uh, our family's reading the magic faraway tree at the moment, and every time they go up to the top of the tree, they go through the hole in the cloud, if you've read it, to a new world. Uh, and of course, there is the four Pevensey children stepping through the wardrobe into the magical land of Narnia. As we've been saying, friends, we've been, we're reading through Paul's great letter to the church in Rome, uh, this, this uh, gem of a book in the New Testament, the book of Romans. And when we get to this passage in chapter 5, uh, it's kind of like Paul takes us through the gospel looking glass. <laughs> He takes us through the door that the gospel opens to us into this incredible 
new world. Uh, the last four chapters, if you've been with us through it, the last four chapters, Paul's outlined the core reality of his gospel, his great announcement to the world that Jesus is Lord, this great announcement that he's not ashamed of. Uh, included in his announcement, if you've been with us, is the claim that all people everywhere, all people are facing God's wrath because of our idolatry, because of our rebellion, because we have turned from worshipping God, our creator, to worshipping created things. Uh, but then as we've kind of read along, we've read how we have nothing to say in the face of that, uh, but we've, we've seen the great reveal a couple of weeks ago, this great reveal of the precious jewel of the gospel uh, that shines so brightly against this dark background that while we have no righteousness of our own, there is a righteousness that comes, that is a gift given to us from outside ourselves. Uh, the righteousness from God that has been revealed to us in the gospel. Everyone who places their faith in Christ, we read that a couple of weeks ago, uh, who trusts in his death for them, are justified, are declared to be right with God, innocent of all the charges placed against us. We're, we're right with God, freely by his grace. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when Steve took us through that little paragraph in chapter 3 where this gem of the gospel is suddenly revealed, he encouraged us at the end to never put it down. It's a kind of gem that you can never stop looking at, to keep rejoicing in it, turning it over, exploring it more and more. That's kind of like what Paul's doing here in chapter 5. Uh, going back to the kind of door analogy, he takes us through this door uh, and starts to explore this new world that opens up to us once we see the reality of the gospel. Um, this passage that we just read, verse 1 to 11 of chapter 5, it's kind of like a bit of an introduction to the whole lo a longer section that we're going to work through over the next few weeks. It's a huge introduction. It's kind of like what Paul's done. He's, he's opened the door, right? He's opened the door and he's brought us through to this amazing, blinding, breathtaking view of all that's in store for us, uh, that we barely have words to comprehend or describe, and we're meant to be kind of awed by it, overwhelmed by it, blown away. We're meant to rejoice in it. So hopefully that's what's going to happen today as we... Read this passage carefully, and as we hear, it's great truth for us. Um, if you have the Bible open, that'll really help you. There's a bit of an outline too there. Um, uh, Paul starts, you can see there, uh, he, says, <clears throat> uh, he says, having been justified, he, he begins the whole section by saying, therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, since we have been justified through faith. That's Paul's whole argument in chapter 1 to 4. That's his whole argument in a nutshell. We've been declared right before God, freely justified by his grace, simply through trusting in what Jesus has done for us. And Paul says, and this is the big kind of thing he wants to say in this passage, if that's true, if you have been justified by faith, then everything else is also absolutely true. All that he's going to go on to say, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul doesn't say. Therefore, since we've done really well this week, we have peace with God. Therefore, since we've resisted all temptation this week, since we've read our Bibles every day this week, we have peace with God. Don't get me wrong, it's good to do well. It's good God wants us to resist temptation and soak ourselves in his word. Paul's got a lot to say about how the gospel shapes our lives and he's going to go on to do that. But he won't go there until this is hammered home for us. Having been justified, not by anything you have done, but simply by entrusting yourself to what God has done for you in Jesus... Therefore, the great reformer Martin Luther um, really grasped this truth. There's a quote, a great quote coming up on the screen. Uh, He said this about another letter that Paul wrote, the letter to the Galatians, but on the same sort of theme. He says, it's kind of old language. But I must hearken to the gospel, which teacheth me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me. To wit that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Do you see what Luther's saying there? At its heart, the gospel proclaims not what we ought to do to make ourselves right with God, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for us. Through trusting ourselves to that, to his work for us and not to our work for ourselves, Paul says we're justified, we're made right. And of course, that's the whole of the last few chapters we've read. And Paul says now, if that's true, then we have, you have already, completely, peace with God. Do you notice what, Paul's not primarily talking about an inner feeling of peace here, although this will certainly produce that at times. Uh, But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an objective reality. You were enemies. You were at war. You hated God in your natural selves. Therefore, since being justified by faith, just the reality, the objective truth is you are at peace with God. You're reconciled. And this idea of peace in the Bible, uh, it's not simply saying that there's no conflict between you. It's not just a negative thing. It has this overwhelmingly positive uh, connotation to it, an overwhelmingly kind of positive feel to it. It's not just a kind of, uh, I don't know if you get the, if, if two countries are at war and they're, then, at, then they're at peace and you might see the kind of cold, smiling handshake between the different leaders of the countries. It's not that kind of peace. It's not a cold handshake. It's a warm embrace, a warm embrace that shows we are really at deep peace with each other. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on, through whom 
we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We not only have a new peace, we have a new place to stand. Uh, Instead of standing, the whole image of standing is what you kind of live in, what you rest on. Instead of standing in ourselves, in our works, we stand in the work of God for us, in his grace. Come back next week, though. We're going to uh, focus a lot more on that. Um, This new place, this idea of this new place that's ours. And Paul's going to go on to talk about how this new place is really powerfully described as being in Christ as opposed to in Adam. But that's for next week. Come back. Uh, We have a new peace. We have a new place. Uh, But then he goes on. We have this new confidence. 5 verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if you've read up to it up to this point with us, you'll know that Paul, I mean, this kind of should ring a few bells for you, a few alarm bells maybe. Paul's gone out of his way to condemn boasting. Right? He's gone out of his way to condemn boasting. Last week we heard it, uh, Paul said, where then is boasting? It's excluded. Um, what's going on with this new boast, this new confidence? Uh, well, I've sort of given it away and what I've said is the little... Um, heading for this little bit. Uh, Boasting in the end is about what you have confidence in. What you have confidence in. When we boast in ourselves, what we're saying is I'm confident uh, in myself, in my own ability to make myself right with God. And that kind of boasting becomes a proud thing. And Paul says it has no place in this new Reality of the gospel, this new world. But Paul says there is this new kind of boast that is now ours through Jesus. Not in ourselves, but in God. In the hope that we have in in the glory of God. The gospel gives us this hope for the future that when God will be glorified. And even more wonderful than that, where in some way we will share in his glory uh, and that's what we boast in. That's what we put our confidence in. That's what we rejoice in. But there's one thing that stands in the way of all of this. It's such a, I mean, if you've read that little bit, it's so incredible, right? This new peace with God, this new place to stand in, this new boast we have. But if you're a thoughtful reader reading up to this point, perhaps you'll say, well, yes, it's all good and well to talk about boasting and peace and but look at my life. <laughs> How can I hope when there's just so much suffering, not just in the world, but in my own life? Now, Paul knows the reality of suffering. If anyone knows what it means to suffer, it was Paul. Now, the new world opened up by the gospel does promise an end to suffering and pain and sickness and death. Uh, it promises that When Jesus returns, though, and not before, there's a lie that tragically gets taught uh, that being a Christian will make your life better, easier, more prosperous, more healthy. Friends, it's a lie. If anything, the image in the New Testament is that being a Christian will, will, will give you more suffering than not less in this age. But for Paul... See what Paul's saying here? For Paul, this new confident boast that he has, this new peace with God, this new reality. 
He's saying suffering doesn't change a thing. Actually, that's not quite right. It doesn't change anything in terms of it doesn't uh, get in the way of our hope. But do you see what Paul, he actually says something a bit more shocking than that. Suffering actually increases our hope. It increases our opportunity to boast, to rejoice, to glory. You see what he says there in verse 3? Not only so, we also glory in our, in our sufferings. And I think what that means is uh, through our sufferings, you know, alongside our sufferings. And uh, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Friends, this isn't Paul the masochist, right? He's not saying that sufferings in themselves are really good things and we should go out of our way to seek them out. Uh, suffering is a sign of the broken world. Uh, it's not what God ultimately wants for us. But our sufferings, while they're not good in themselves, in God's kindness, in his great love and sovereignty, our sufferings while they're not good in themselves, they produce something good. They have a good effect. They fuel our perseverance and our character. Ultimately, they fuel our hope. Suffering, is this, uh, is, perhaps this is your experience, suffering makes you long for a new world. <laughs> uh, it makes you long for God and his justice and his kindness and his healing and forgiveness. And isn't it right, uh, when you meet Christians who have suffered, have you had this experience, you meet Christians who have, who have suffered and yet they have this incredible joy that radiates out of them. I don't know, perhaps you've met people like that. Um, no, it's not, uh, and you don't get the sense that it's this kind of weak, flippant, um, just put a smile on it and ignore all the bad stuff. Pretend things are okay. No, they have this kind of deep spring of solid joy that comes from the hope that they have through knowing Jesus. A hope that they long for more because of their sufferings. We have this unshakable confidence. Uh, not even our sufferings can get in the way. In fact, they will fuel it. And Paul goes on in verse 5, that hope is not going to disappoint us. Uh, verse 5, our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, you see what Paul's saying there? He, this new world that is opened up for us through being justified by faith is one in which we know for sure that God loves us. And he loves us in a totally unique kind of way, right? It's a totally different kind of love to any other human love. Uh, someone 
Uh, verse six is a bit. Uh, sorry, verse seven is a bit tricky to kind of understand what's going on there. Uh, someone might rarely die for a righteous person, possibly a good person. We know, um, but you, you know kind of what that's getting at, right? There are some people that you would die for, um, or every parent would um, hope to think that they would die for their kids. Uh, there are some people, maybe a really close uh, friend or someone that you think is just really good. Uh, but here is an utterly unthinkable love. I mean, it's a shocking love, right, that God shows. Uh, it is shocking and it, it's ridiculous to us. Christ died for us when we were powerless in verse 6. We were powerless. We were weak. We were helplessly swept up in the brokenness of this world. But it's not just that. That that word powerless has the kind of image of being, and you, you'll know this, right? You kind of you are swept up in something bigger than yourself. That you're just powerless. In, it has the image of being a victim of the 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 tragic effect of sin in this world, and it's actually really important to recognise that. That's true of all of us. Uh, But the image is not just a powerless victim, is it? We are all victims of this world's brokenness and it affects us all in different ways. But do you see how Paul goes on? We're never just victims. We're villains too. Christ died. Did you read that? Not just when we were powerless, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners. And later in verse 10, if you flick your eye down there, Not just ungodly and sinners, but enemies. And we're enemies. Friends, this is so central to everything. Uh, It's possible to go along with everything that Paul has said so far, to recognise your sin, uh, to trust Jesus' death for you, to know it in your head, to know that you are now right with God through trusting Jesus. Uh, But to keep it kind of academic, I don't know if you can relate to this, to keep it kind of academic, uh, everything we've talked about so far, uh, you'll kind of say it's it's some spiritual transaction that's taken place and you accept it and you think, okay, good, now what's next? (laughs) Get on with the rest of life, right? Uh, Everything we've talked about, all that God has done for you in Christ is not just an academic kind of transaction that's happened out there. It is the incredible outpouring of his deep, unthinkable, unimaginable love for you. And friends, I wonder if you've ever known that, not just as a point of doctrine, but you've known that God loves you. Yes, Knowing that God sees you directly, you, okay, individually, in all of your weakness, in all of your ungodliness, in all of your sin, in, even in all of your hatred of God, in all of your enmity towards him. He sees it all. He sees it all and even through it, he loves you with a love that is so pure and so incredibly and blindingly wonderful and deep.
Paul says that he has poured out. He has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you've trusted Jesus, uh, that's only possible because God's Spirit has been at work in you. No one says Jesus is Lord except by God's Spirit. And that is the outpouring of his love. To be able to say, yes, I trust you, that itself is the outpouring of God's love into your hearts. Not just that, God just hasn't outpoured his love by his Spirit's work in your life to bring you to faith in Christ. He has demonstrated his love. Do you see that in verse 8? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, friends, um, just an incredible little paragraph there, isn't it? I mean, it's mind-blowingly wonderful. If God has poured out his love like this, then our future hope, is what Paul just finishes off by going on to say, he kind of says, if God has poured out his love like this, if all of that is true, then as we look to the future, our future hope is unshakably sure, is blindingly bright. We will be saved. Let's read on verse 9 there. Uh, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Uh, You might have heard the advice that if you're faced with a whole series of things to do, you do the hardest one first. You ever heard that? If you sort of get just freaked out by everything that's in front of you, just choose the hardest thing first. I got some. Uh, the, the theory goes, yeah, the, the kind of the rest is going to flow easily if you just get on and do the hardest one first. I once heard some advice that the hardest thing about exercising is getting out of bed in the morning. Um, I've tested that advice. I'm not entirely sure it's true. It seems to me the easiest thing to do after getting out of bed is to just get right back in. Uh, but the theory is a good one, anyway. Just but, uh, and it's exactly what Paul says here. Do that. Uh, do you see what Paul's saying? If God's already done the hardest thing, if he's already brought about forgiveness and reconciliation, if he's already justified you through Jesus' blood, then the rest is easy. <laughs> uh, no problems. How much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? If you've been reconciled, if you have peace then no wrath remains. None. Not an inch. The future day of wrath Paul has talked about, I mean, that future day of wrath that Paul described back in chapter 2, if you remember that, that's still there. That's still there, and it's still just as sobering and terrible. But do you see what he's saying here? If your faith is in Jesus, if you entrust yourself to him, you can face that day with a joyful confidence. A joyful confidence. We have a new future. And he rounds off the whole paragraph with this summary statement in verse 11. Um, we boast, going back to the, this idea of boasting, not only in the hope we have, not only in our sufferings, but ultimately our boast is in God himself. A confidence placed in God And can you see, having gone through all of that, can you see how this boast is so different from the kind of proud 
arrogant, self-centered boasting that is so common in our, in our lives, in our world. Uh, this kind of boast, this boast in God, if everything we've read is true, this is a boast that's marked by a deep humility and thankfulness and joy. It knows we have nothing in ourselves, but that God has given us everything. Well, friends, Paul's opened this, he's kind of, we've stepped through the door, right? <laughs> he's taken four chapters to tell us about the, this core reality of the gospel, being justified, made right with God through faith in Jesus. And he's painted this breathtaking view, this amazing picture of what this new world is like. Uh, the astounding claim of Romans, the astounding claim of Romans, and in fact the, the astounding claim of the whole Bible, is that this isn't just another, it's just not just another uh, wonderland that Alice will go in to see. It's not just another fairy tale. The astounding claim of Romans is that this isn't just a made, this is, this world is the real one. This is true. Jesus has died for our sins. He, he was raised to life for our justification. We read that at the end of the passage last week, what Paul finishes off before he goes on to talk about that, the central truths of the gospel. Jesus has died and he was raised. It really happened, and if it really happened, then this incredible new world is actually... You see, it's actually the real world. It's actually the true world. Through faith in him, you have a new peace with God that doesn't depend on your mood. It doesn't depend on how you're going in your life. It doesn't depend on the sins you struggle with. It doesn't get better when you do better, and it doesn't get worse when you do worse. You have peace with God. You have a new place to stand in his grace. You have a new confident hope to boast in, to rejoice in. Even your sufferings, even our sufferings, which are many, even our sufferings cannot take this hope away. In fact, in the marvellous, incredible kindness of God, they actually serve to fuel our hope and become occasions for rejoicing and boasting. You have a new future salvation. At the end of the day, friends, if you have been justified by faith, you can say with full assurance, just simple words, God loves me. You can say that if you have been justified by faith in Christ. He doesn't love me because of my goodness. He doesn't love me because I love him. He loved me in my weakness. He loved me in my ungodliness and sinfulness. He loved me when I was his enemy. His love doesn't depend on me. It flows out of his own being. 
And it has been once and finally shown, poured out into my heart through the spirit that God has given and shown and demonstrated fully at the cross. Friends, what do we make of all of this? Uh, Do you see that the... I just want to briefly um, say this, but uh, do you see that the reverse is true? The reverse is true of what Paul's saying. That is to say, if you don't have faith in Christ, if you haven't entrusted yourself to him as your saving Lord, if you haven't heard and believed the word of the gospel, that he has died for your sins and has been raised to give you new life, if that's not you, can you see that the opposite of everything here is true? You don't have peace with God. You don't have his grace to stand in. Your boast will be not be in him, it'll be in yourself. And suffering won't refine you, it'll destroy you and leave you bitter and hopeless. Ultimately, you will not be saved from God's wrath. Friends, if that's you, there is nothing to stop you from right now putting your faith in Jesus. This very moment, recognising both your sin and his wonderful sacrifice for you. The moment you do that, Paul says, welcome to a new world. (laughs) And it's all true. But perhaps, friends, you've already done that, perhaps for you a long time ago, and brothers and sisters, can you see that this, this is still just as true for you as it is for the newest believer? And so for, for you, friends, what, what stops you from believing it, from knowing it, from rejoicing in it? Perhaps you find yourself thinking that your peace with God does go up and down with how you're doing. Uh, it doesn't. It depends entirely not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done for you. If you trust that, you do have peace. Perhaps suffering, uh, instead of refining you, has left you defensive or brittle or hard, instead of hopeful. Oh, this is hard to talk about, though, isn't it? It's so deeply personal for each of us. Uh, but... Brothers and sisters, let your sufferings drive you to your hope, your longing for God. And know for sure that this hope will not disappoint you. It is anchored in God's deep love for you. And it will lead to an eternity of knowing and enjoying that love. Whatever gets in the way of you hearing this, And rejoicing in it, whatever gets in the way of that, it will never outweigh this, the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It will never outweigh this. God has demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, these are, uh, you have opened up this incredible view for us this morning through your word. Father, by your spirit, please move in each of us. 
each person here to see something new of your great love for them, to see and to recognise your love poured out overwhelmingly through the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus, for us. Lord, convict us both of our need uh, but also of, our, of your great love. Father, may we know, may we have confidence, may we have assurance that through faith in Jesus Christ, all of this is now true of each of us. And we pray that for your glory in his name. Amen.